Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 45 of Bleeding Blue. And today we have a two, not a special guest, two special guests as the guys from NYG Underground, Glenn Warsiski and Paul Burke, join us. And we are going to talk about the New York football giants in all their glory. So without further ado, let's bleed. Blue, 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 blue. All right, all right. Housekeeping. Follow everyone in the world on Twitter that is here presently. Um, you can follow the podcast at bleeding double underscore blue. You can follow me on Twitter at jpenic74. You can follow David. David is here. Say hi, David. Hey guys, I'm here. Where, where's your? Where's your? How? How can we get in contact with you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at um, at David double underscore powers. Emphasis and it, on double underscore. Yeah, and it's thanks to David that because bleeding one underscore was taken. So I took David's idea, and I'm like, why not just double underscore it? So at bleeding double underscore blues for the podcast. Glenn, where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, at uh, NYG Underground. Uh, that's it, NYG Underground. And last but not least, Paul, I've actually had trouble finding you on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? No, I am not. Oh. Oh that's why you had gosh. a hard time finding him, Justin. That's a, that's why I had a hard time finding. Him. I <laughs> no, tried doing my homework. Explaining. <laughs> well, good for you on your homework. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so fellas, NYG Underground. Um. It's it's been it's been going on for a while. It's a blog, comprehensive, in depth blog on the New York Football Giants. Uh. If you don't know about it, especially if a bleeding blue listener doesn't know NYG Underground, or maybe even a um, NYG Underground listener doesn't know much about Bleeding Blue, but uh, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and the Underground and what you guys do. Paul, Paul, and I uh, know one another going back to 2009. Paul was on a uh, Andy Furman's blog, UltimateNYG.com, and mm-hmm. Andy actually has retired because he has other things to do. But Andy's a bright guy. Uh, Paul was on there. I joined Paul, and um, there was another gentleman, Pete, and. Uh, wonder who's their draft analyst on there and we we were on there from like 2009 to 2012 uh and then i had some situations you know come up i didn't blog uh and then i got back on with paul in 2014 and we founded the nyg underground uh you know we've had articles appear in the new york times when new york times had a fifth down blog uh paul had an article i think was on the new york times it was uh uh i think it was on the Afterburner, uh, Paul could talk a little bit about that. That was the 2011 season with um, Tom Coughlin when the mm. season looks like it was going to go off the rails when they lost to the uh, Saints on that Monday night football game. And they had a, a, I don't know if it was the Air Force come in and like do some sort of like team building uh, mm-hmm. uh, strategies. And, you know, they turned they turned the season around. So Paul uncovered that. We've done articles on the injuries uh, of the Giants when the Giants were leading the league at injuries. We're trying to figure out what was going on. Paul did some articles on that. Um, you know, I've, I've been on ESPN radio. I've been to the Manning, uh, passing Academy. 
Um, you know, I've done stuff. I mean, again, this is part-time, you know, this is like a hobby for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, what, what, what do we strive for? We strive to provide objective and incisive commentary about the Giants. We're not about, um, you know, if you, Paul and I talk about like rose-colored glasses. We're not about like every time the Giants make a decision, you know, we're skeptical and we're going to provide our commentary whether we agree or disagree. But um, we want to provide uh, our followers, our people who read the blog, um, you know, with good content, you know, to say, hey, look, you know, this is what's going on. And, um, and that's what we, that's what we strive to do. Paul, you want to add some stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, um, the, the consulting group that trying to understand how to critique each other, and stay on board and stay on the same page, that you're, you're all in it together, you're all in to win. And that's a, like a high level managing management consulting kind of concept but um so those are the kind of things that we try to bring and, and i and i talked about after gentleman pick about the confirmation bias and about analytics and about um <clears throat> the, the new age of sport football is like the last sport to really catch on to analytics and 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 the cognitive behavioral analysis. Like I'm I'm not going to go bore you into the details of all this, but and that's one of the concerns. That's one of the things we're trying to bring to the table and give to our audience. And obviously, we are not an audience that is rah 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 rah. Let's you know we're, we're going to give the positive, the rose colored, and and the you know. It's, it's it's a different medium versus your average blog or, or daily news post, whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. You, I like how you mentioned the rose color, especially I mean, especially lately. Losing football is losing football, and I feel like uh, you look on Giants Twitter right now. And Paul, I know you're not necessarily on Giants Twitter, but it's such an interesting place right now, especially after the Daniel Jones pick, where I am. There's a part of me that's almost afraid to criticize the team because let's face it, um, I, I I am now I'm trying to expand this podcast. I'm trying to expand Bleeding Blue, and I'm almost afraid. I, I I basically I want people to listen to the episodes. I want people to watch my videos that I put out. You know my breakdown videos, my reaction videos that I just started. I want people to like my tweets. And at the end of the day, you know if you're critical, I feel like there's such like a, a loyalist. Um, there's a loyalist bias right now in the Giants fan base where you're either David and I talked about two weeks ago about, you know, the fans that are toxic, that are toxically negative, but there's also fans that are blindfully loyal as well. So I like how, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't put that, you don't sugarcoat it, but also at the same time, you're, you're insightful and you're, and you're precise as well. So that's some of the things that I've, uh, that I've uh, admired. So one more housekeeping item for bleeding blue. I want to announce this very, very quickly. Uh, I've jo- we've joined Spreaker. We are no longer. Uh, we used to have SoundCloud as our only uh, podcasting host as our host website. We are now on Spreaker, which has allowed us specifically for you Android users. We are on SoundCloud. We are on TuneIn Radio. So big news, big news, big news. Leave a five star rating if you enjoy this episode and if you enjoy us. But without further ado. We're now really going to get into it now that you got kind of like an intro on who we all are. So this is what I kind of want to start off with. 
Mike Remmers today. I'm glad that we're recording this today. And we didn't record this yesterday because the news just came out today. We're recording this on Saturday to hopefully be released on Monday. Mike Remmers signed a one-year deal for $2.5 million. Uh, hopefully solidifies right tackle position. So now we have from left tackle to right tackle, we have Nate Solder, Hernandez at guard, John Jalapio at center, Kevin Zietler at right guard, and now Mike Remmers at right tackle. So here's what I do know about Remmers. Played a guard, struggled a guard the last few years. Right tackles is more natural position. I know Mike Remmers is a ginger. That's also a thing that's uh, that's significant to point out. 6'5", about 300 pounds. Fellas, uh, Glenn, Paul, David, whoever wants to start, you know, maybe we'll talk quickly about Mike Remmers. Uh, is he going to be a, another Patrick Omame? Is he going to be better than people expected? He's coming off of a, a back injury, which is minor, but that's why it, it took so long for him to sign. Tell us, tell us some thoughts. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the, the reins here. So yeah. the, my, my, my number one thought was a, it's a good deal. Two and a half million dollars, not investing a lot. It just seemed to make sense. Right. So right tackle obviously is the one hole that's still kind of, that was still glaring on the offensive line, whether you, whether you like who's there in place right now or not, the, the one remaining hole was definitely still at right tackle with Chad Wheeler. So, they did. It's it's a low risk, possibly very high reward deal. I appreciate Gettleman also being able to see that there was still a remaining hole at right tackle and going out and addressing it and, and doing what he could do at that point to address it. Um, you know, thing like a back injury for an offensive lineman, it's it it's it's a minor injury. Could it flare up in the middle of the season? Of course, it can. Anything is possible. But now, what you're at least allowing then is. Chad Wheeler is now a depth guy mm-hmm. and, and huge it's, it's the, the giants problem with the offensive line. The last couple of years, I think has been, num- has been number one. It's a lack of able bodies. So now they've, they, they're at, they add another able body. And I think it's, I, I don't, there, it, there's no way it's a bad deal. It just might not be a perfect deal. That's at least how I feel about it. Yo, yeah, well, mama was a bad deal. So uh, bad yeah. Deal. <laughs> I'll just say, look, yeah, it is an upgrade over. Uh, I agree with David. It is an upgrade over what they had in Wheeler. Um, you know, again, what it comes down to, probably why he signed now as before, uh, like George Young, the former Giants GM would say, you know, agents are cockroaches. You know, they probably wanted to get more money. So it's always about money. Um, so, you know, after the draft, you know, they did, the Giants did sign them to, like David said, uh, you know, it's not much money. Uh, the back issue, we don't know the extent. I don't know if you guys remember the Giants signed in 2010, uh, Sean Andrews who uh, was a tackle. They used him. What limited him, I think he was from the Eagles. Uh, he had back issues, and that's what really kept him out. So you really got to watch for back. I mean, that was probably the reason. So you always have to think about, well, why didn't other teams pick him up? Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, the offensive line, you know, around the league, I mean, people are always searching for offensive linemen. You know, you, you took look at different teams around the league. Houston is one of them. You know, they reach for a tackle in their draft. Well, you know, why didn't they pick him up? You know, we don't know the medical. So, you know, are they taking a risk here? Well, the salary isn't much, but we always have to pay attention to that, especially back issues for linemen and football are pretty crucial. So that's just something to pay attention to. But I do agree with David, what he had to share. Even uh, even Eric Flowers was picked up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> but is Flowers making more money, though, right? Isn't Flowers making more money per year? Because I don't know. That's you know, But anyway, you're right. You're making me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> my 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 issues, and I agree with with David point and Glenn point. But I would add that 
a lot of teams, and this is some, something that I kind of picked up on, is a lot of teams have held off on free agency um, after the draft in order to pick up value and, and pick up and fill a hole in the roster. And I, th- I don't think it's so much about getting money. I think teams are like holding off a little bit in order to, to get that get that value. But my, my, my issue is on the offensive line. You've got one young, controllable asset, and that is Will Hernandez. Mm. What else do you have? I mean, the rest of them are, I mean, Jalapio. Hal- Hal- but the, the fact is that the, Filling in with with retreads and, and and veterans and they're costing a lot of money and that's my concern with with the the build of the uh, offensive line. No, that's absolutely fair um, because you know again you know we you guys are huge on value and that's part of why I think you know we were talking a ton about value two weeks ago and then that's part of why we're gravitated towards each other and you look at. You know, particularly look at the Giants secondary right now and the value that's there where you have guys on cheap deals and they're going to be together for a long time. Even though, you know, I think the Giants offensive line has a potential to be with each other for, you know, you would think at least another two years or so because Solder's under contract, Hernandez is under contract, Zietler's under contract. So particularly three out of the five starters are under contract for at least two more years, you would hope. But again, you know, they're not coming very cheap. Zietler was able to reconstruct his contract, but again, it's not the rookie deal with the team option. So that that is that's cert- that certainly is a valid point there, Paul. Also for the just just for the record to fill in, um Eric Flowers is currently making three point two million dollars. Wow. So you know, the risk is time him for more than we sign Mike Remmers for. Well. All right. So I do want to get because this is people may be tired about talking about the draft, but We've only had one episode since the draft, and this is a headline that can't be ignored. Daniel Jones is the biggest reach in Giants draft history. Fellas, tell us why. Tell us why. This is what I want to hear. What have you guys seen from Daniel Jones that not only is worth uh, the the sixth pick value-wise, but is also the biggest reach in Giants history? All right. So my last post with David Joe uh, with Daniel Jones, it's not like it's not like I, I'm trying to understand, you know, what the Giants are doing here, because, you know, we talked in the beginning of the podcast, Justin, you mentioned the Giants have been losing there. You know, I have some stats here. They're 47 and 66 since 2012. That includes the playoff loss to Green Bay. All right. In the NFC East, the reason why they haven't been winning in the NFC East, they've been since that time in 2012, they have a record of 16 and 27. And um, things haven't been going well. They've been, out sh- they've been shut out five times from 2012 to present. The Patriots have been shut out once in that time span. So that's what tells you. So they really haven't been – so, okay, so they've been, doing, they've been doing poorly. It's been, uh, I think, another decade of despair. They kept Eli Manning. They uh, kept him at the – what? They signed him the, the $5 million signing bonus, and then they went into the – he's, what, making 20-something million this year? 23. All right, yeah. so I'm thinking – 23 million. Okay. So you think about it for a second. All right. So this is Eli's last swan song. You know, they're going to, you know, get him and talked about the defense, you know, after his, after the season was over, he came out of hiding. He uh, talked about the defense. He said the defense played poorly, et cetera. But I, I disagree with him. We can get into that later. Uh, and, you know, they had value uh, in this draft. Uh, it was talked about the defensive players, the linemen, the edge rushers, the giants desperately needed edge rusher. They traded one last year on JPP who's stuck around too long, too long. 
well, that was Reese's fault. But uh, and then they traded um, uh, Vernon. You know, you mentioned Zeitler uh, came in the trade, so that was good. But they they don't have anybody. They really don't have anybody on the defense. The the uh, their leading sack total person was. Uh, uh, Hill, the tackle they drafted last year, mm-hmm. you know, he had five and a half sacks, which I wrote about. So you're thinking about, okay, what's going on here? So why are we calling it a reach? Okay, well, no, no one had Jones drafted that high. I don't care. I don't believe Gettleman. He said that Allen and Jones were equal value on the same board. Uh, I have, I didn't see that. The only person that really liked Jones was Gil Brandt, but I think mm-hmm. Gil Brandt doesn't do the research anymore. I really, uh, <laughs> anyway. So that was good. Gil Brandt's. Gil Brandt was a genius, you know, uh, you know, for the Cowboys. I mean, he helped with Texturan built the Cowboys to what they are, because actually they use computers at a time when no one was using it, so they had the edge. So we talk about analytics, <clears throat> but anyway. Um, so what wh- what's going on with Jones here? All right. So the gentleman that writes for the Ringer, uh, Paul told me about this. Uh, Kevin Clark. Uh, he writes some really really good articles about the NFL. Uh, that's the offshoot uh, that Bill Simmons found. And then he had a guy on there, Matt Richner, who I liked. Um, he was also in a book written by Bruce Allen about quarterbacks that I read. So, you know, Paul and I, we read a lot of books, you know, on the NFL. I mean, that's how you educate yourself. So anyway, um, Daniel Jones, Matt Richner, I asked him. He actually follows me on Twitter. Uh, uh, he's an NFL draft consultant. I asked him when Gil Brandt came out and said, you know, prior to the draft that Daniel Jones was, you know, you know, really good, like Eli, uh, like Peyton Manning. And I'm like, is this true? I mean, am I missing something? And he said, Glenn, no. He said, Brant is wrong. I said, okay. I said, well, then who do you compare Daniel Jones to? He says, I compare Daniel Jones to Jimmy Clausen. That's what you're getting. And he said, so I said, all right. So, uh, you know, that's what it is. Um, and what is, what does Matt Richner do? Like, what is he basing it on? Like, yeah, he's not fishing a name out of the you know, you know, out of a rabbit hole and saying, okay, well, Jimmy Clausen is Daniel Jones. He works as a draft consultant, but he also, um, what does he do? He um, works with NFL teams. His uh, analysis is on third down conversion rate. In other words, in the NFL, the money down is the third down. And with that, the defense knows you're going to throw the ball. The defenses get more complex on third down in the NFL. And in college in the NFL, the big thing that's different is the windows get tighter to mm. throw the ball. You have to be really pinpoint accurate. All right. So I asked him about the statistics of the three quarterbacks. Okay. So of the three quarterbacks in this draft, you had Haskins, you had Locke, and you had Jones. You know, you want to throw those three names out. On third down uh, conversion percentage in college last year, Haskins had a 68. 5% completion rate. Locke was at 60.9 and Daniel Jones was at 53.4%. So when you look at that, well, why do you say that? You know, you go back to, I go back to what Mike Leach talks about. Uh, he's the coach at Washington state and, you know, he's been a quarterback uh, person. You know, he thinks outside the box uh, too. He said the number one characteristic for a quarterback is accuracy. You can't teach that as you get into the NFL. Like after high school, he said, it's too late. If you're not accurate, you're not going to be a good quarterback. So it's accuracy. He talks about good decision-making, quick feet, you know, footwork, you know, he says strong arm, elevate your team, but his whole thing is accuracy. And um, so that's why it was a head scratcher. You know, that's why I added with Manning there, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, you know, w- what you're doing. Right. Uh, so, I, right. so anyway, I, I, so I just wanted just to, you know, elaborate on that. Paul can get into the, um, 
you know, the the value and everything. Right. But I want to ask you because the people because the sure. people's number one response to that is, oh, the completion percentage numbers are skewed because his receivers and his skill position players were so bad. So the fact that they were misrunning routes and the fact that they were dropping balls left and right. So those numbers are skewed and those completion percentage numbers are skewed. So then what would you kind of, what would your response to those critiques to the critique be like? Well, I mean, that's just, you know, we could say, well, his, well, this is third down. So, I mean, it's easier to pass on first and second down. So we're just taking third down completion percent. We're not talking about first and second, which is easier to pass in college and third down is, and even in in the NFL gets even tougher. So that's what we're really analyzing is the, um, you know, is the third down completion percentage. So when you say, I mean, I don't know, I know I did ask him about that, um, but that's proprietary information. He couldn't give me that adjusted, uh, adjusted on third down, but it's not good. Okay, I could tell you that much. Actually, it, it it drops a little. It drops. So he he's not accurate. So that's that's the whole thing. My number one critique of Jones, and I, I I've started my deep dive into him today. I'm gonna be posting some. I'm not gonna because everybody's posted threads, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be selective in the threads that I post within the next upcoming days. My number one critique is that he sta- he most of the time stares down one receiver. He does not go through his progressions. When he does, he looks good. And there, there have been a few throws where he's had active feet in the pocket and he's looked really good. But he stares down his receivers and at times we've seen forces the ball and it gets him into trouble. And cornerbacks in the NFL, they eat off that shit. They eat off of quarterbacks looking down a single receiver. And then those cornerbacks, what they can do is they can jump all over that football. You know, they just lean back. They, they wait for their opportunity and then they jump on that. They jump on that route. So, you know, you're right about, you know, the windows getting tighter, especially on third down. That's my, that's my number one critique right now of Daniel Jones is that he does not go through his progressions and he has not shown that ability to do that. Well, let, let, let me let me jump in here, but I, I agree with all your points, and, and that's one of the biggest risks. What you both are saying is the big, biggest risk, especially you, Justin, is, okay, he's, he's got terrible receivers that drop balls, and, you know, doesn't have the talent, et cetera, and then staring down what he has. How can you make an adjustment? Isn't that a high risk? judgment to take somebody at number six in the draft don't have enough evaluation to go by you're going by what you see on tape and what you're and this just goes back to what i said in my in my post about confirmation bias and this is my biggest concern with dave gentleman he's an old school you listen to a lot of guys who are in the industry i read a guy i read a guy um from NFL Network, who knows him very well and very, very on point about hog mollies, about big guys in, in the draft. He's very set in his ways. You have to adapt. And my concern with him is that he he's, he's looking at Daniel Jones as a Eli Manning clone, a Peyton Manning clone, and he rattled off all these quarterbacks when he was interviewed mm-hmm. and that's not today that the nfl has changed baker mayfield you know the pat mahomes those guys are changing the, the the nfl they're changing the way the game is played 
You don't you don't run to get a first down. You run to create a path. You run to create an opportunity. That's you quarterback, immobile, the you know, the guy with a big arm and the, well he doesn't have a big arm. That's one of my <laughs> issues with him, but he's a he's a six five guy, he's a big guy, and and he's, he's intelligent, he's smooth talking. Those days are over. Move on. And that's my biggest concern. And that goes back to my analytics thing and how he approaches the draft and what he looks for. And he's a very arrogant person. And anybody I know, I've read this, and I'm not the only one that has stated that he's an arrogant in the way he approaches. He's arrogant in the way he talks to people. Right. And that is the biggest concern that I have with him. Right now, David, I want to get to you, um, but we definitely, we definitely have acknowledged that you know Dave Gettleman does have this complex of I'm the smartest guy in the room. And it's a tough complex to have when you are making decisions that are reflecting overall poorly on the franchise. And when the only good decision that you ever made as a general manager is basically in the 2000, you know, in, in, in rounds two through seven, in my opinion, in rounds two through seven of the 2018 draft, and then rounds two through seven of the 2019 draft, if those are the only good decisions that you're making for the franchise, um, that's my opinion. You know, I disagree with me. You know, I don't agree with the Saquon pick. We don't need to get into that. Um, but basically, Daniel Jones does not do one thing extremely well. This is not to say that he is a bad quarterback, not to say that he will be a terrible quarterback. But basically, in the evaluation process, Daniel Jones does not do one thing extremely and tremendously well. And that's where you can question the value at six. But David, I want to get to you because I feel like you're about to lose your brain. <laughs> okay. All right. So... Obviously, listeners of this podcast know that when it, when it comes to the glass half full, glass half empty conversation, Justin might fall on the on the, the empty glass. I fall a little more on the full glass sometimes. I agree with everybody's points. I, I honestly do. I want to really quick, Paul. I'm glad you brought up the idea. You know, oh, uh, we're talking about Duke wide receivers because you've seen a lot of um, baldy breakdowns about the Duke wide receivers and. And, and how bad the Duke offensive line is. And, the, you know, Duke is a bad football team. Nobody cares about Duke football. So I understand you can say Duke, because Daniel Jones played at Duke, it's not possible to really fairly evaluate him because the receivers are so bad. That would mean that it was, it'd be harder to draft him. But at the same time, I also it's hard for me to then find fault with him for the exact same reason, if that makes any sense. So because his receivers are so bad and, and the offensive line is so bad, and you can even throw the defense. The defense is a, it was a turnstile last year from everything I've seen. Because of that, it also makes it difficult to really criticize mistakes like what Justin's talking about, which is, which is zeroing in on one receiver, not going through progressions. As, if you're Daniel Jones, who you know at the very least seems like an intelligent guy and, and a, a somewhat intelligent football player, if you know what, what, what's around you, you know, you know you've got this guy who really does not belong on the football field and, and you've got a tight end you can't trust or, you know, whatever, of course you're going to zero in on one guy. And if a quarterbacks do that all the time, you know, that's how one receiver ends up with, you know, 100 catches in the season. That's because a quarterback knows where his security blanket is. And if Daniel Jones has felt like his security blanket is unfortunately a not very good receiver, but he's there, then that's where you're going to give the ball. That's where the ball's going. So that's how I respond to Justin and to you, Paul, just because 
I feel like if you're going to use if, if you're going to say that you can't really you can't really fairly evaluate Daniel Jones because he went to Duke and and the uh, receivers were, were so poor and the, and the play around him was so poor. It's also then hard to say he's not a good quarterback because he went to Duke. That makes any sense. No, I, I, I agree and I respect what you're saying. And frankly, I hope that he succeeds. I'm not saying that Daniel Jones will not succeed. I'm hoping he does. I'm, an, I'm a Giants fan, but, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I'm just saying from a perspective of value, it's a high-risk pick. Absolutely. Take somebody at that high based on the information and the tape and what you have. That, that, that's my biggest point. Absolutely. So that, that, that's one point. The other point I want to make, and Justin, we talked a lot about this you know, two weeks ago, whenever, whenever our last episode was. We talked a lot about value, and, and I got very fired up over the idea that it's, it's impossible to define value before you know what you have. I don't, I, I don't really – the whole idea of you take the sixth overall pick and you're looking for a Hall of Famer, you're looking for a Hall of Famer with every pick. I don't really – it doesn't make any sense to me. You, you know, if you – by you know when you take a guy with the 172nd pick i think it should be somebody who you think can be the best player on your football team and i would certainly hope that that's how general managers operate during the draft is is that they don't just take a guy because they say well he's going to be fine he'll be average no they, you hope that this guy develops into something more than what he's shown on tape yet so we've talked a lot about value justin mm-hmm. and i just think what we continue to uh, as as a whole fan base continue to ignore is we're trying to we're trying to take the Daniel Jones pick and fit it into our mold of what we believe the Giants are identity. We're, we're trying exactly. We're trying to create their identity for them. And, and what's want, that? And, what's and, that identity, David? Because uh, well, either Glenn, I think Glenn was talking about the overall. Um, or it was Glenn or Paul was talking about the overall trends of the game where you're looking at the Pat Mahomes, you're looking at the Baker right. Mayfields, and you're looking I, – I think okay. it was Paul. It was you're looking to basically run to create the pass. You're not running to get a first down. So, David, obviously um, the Giants are building a football team to do the exact opposite of that, and you like that. So, go ahead. Keep, keep, keep going with your point. I mean, and, and anybody who anybody who follows this podcast knows that, you know, going into last year when Justin and I would have heated debates over – Saquon Barkley or, or, you know, Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, whoever I have, I had absolutely no problem with the Saquon Barkley pick. And I still don't again, like you said earlier, Justin, that's a, that's a, we're not getting into that. We can't yeah, maybe, maybe if, maybe if we have Glenn and Paul on again, we can get into that rabbit hole, but I have a feeling people will not listen because they just don't want to hear it, but I could talk about it all day. Me too. Me too. So, so we've got a sensational running back who I get the idea of you, you don't, we're, the NFL now works that you're running to set up the pass, and that's and that's an extremely effective way to play football. And and it's been something that's that when the Giants have been good, they've done well. Mm-hmm. But the Giants have never had a running back like Saquon Barkley, at least not in he. I think I think we can all agree that he is more dynamic than their previous most dynamic running back, which was Tiki Barber. He's more dynamic than Tiki Barber, and. I don't think we give that enough credit, what that can bring to your offense. So you look at what the, move, the moves that Gettleman have, has made, right? So no more OBJ, focusing heavily on offensive line, really solidify the offensive line. That, and then I think that project finished today. You've got a bunch of guys who 
are talented intermediate route runners on the outside. You've got a quarterback whose calling card is the ability is is the ability. If there is one thing he can do, it is throw an intermediate football. Um, as as unimpressive as, as unimpressive as that sounds, right? And you know, Daniel Jones. I don't want to harp on this. At Duke, was a mobile guy. He he's able to navigate the pocket. He's faster than he than I think people that he looks necessarily. He's a tough guy. He he has no problem taking a hit. I don't know. I I think we're just not focusing enough on get. There is a plan. I really do believe that there is a plan that Dave Gettleman has. Now, whether you like the plan is a completely different story. Whether you think the plan is effective, is even obtainable. That's a different. That's a different story. But there's definitely a plan, and I think he's executing it exactly how he wants, which is all I think all four of us can agree. That's all we can ask for is that at least have a plan and execute it. Whether it right. works is one thing, but execute your plan. I think he certainly is. Right. So, Glenn and Paul, let me ask you this. The way that the – again, you know, we'll talk about the way that the Giants are constructing their team and will fit the – again, even, even fitting the strengths of Eli Manning right now, which is the intermediate game. Um, Daniel Jones does have the the best completion percentage at 71% pro football focus had at uh, deep routes down the field. So throwing the ball deep, he was the highest um, completion percentage, highest he was leading complete completion percentage among quarterbacks drafted. But again, if you talk about completion percentage numbers, if I'm attempting only four throws and I complete three of them, then that's a 75 completion percentage and that number looks great. But neither here nor there. Giants are building a team that lives and dies by not only the run, but the intermediate passing game. So I kind of want to bring that to you that, you know, technically we're drafting towards our strengths, which is that's what we are. You know, Golden Tate's a slot guy. Sterling Shepard, we have two slot receivers, basically, two starting slot receivers. Um, so kind of just, uh, you know, bring to you, you know, your overall thoughts on that, you know, that Dave Gettleman is technically building towards the team's strengths. And I put that in quotes. Hmm. Um, is it kind of like the best way to do this? You know, I look at it, you know, from a point of view, when you look at the quarterback, like we were talking about, you know, value. In the game of football, the way it is right now, like Paul was talking about Mahomes and he was talking about Baker Mayfield. You know, people were talking about him last year. Well, he's not tall enough. And again, the statistics bore out. Again, Matt Richner uh, had it uh, with regards to Baker, had the highest third down completion percentage, and he excelled. Now, again, that's not the be-all, end-all. So I just don't want to just say, okay, well, that's the secret sauce. And, you know, if you do that, you're going to be great. You know, Bill Walsh, who uh, – was I think one of the most brilliant coaches in the NFL had times uh, at evaluating quarterbacks. At one time he thought Brian Greasy was going to be better than uh, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. So again, it's really, it's really hard to like evaluate quarterbacks, but again, right now the way the game is played um, when you put value, there's more value on a quarterback than a running back. So in other words, if Saquon Barkley, you know, is, you know, X amount of dollars, you know, let's say he's, you know, I don't know, uh, like a thousand dollars and and uh sam darnold is uh eight hundred dollars i mean there's more value in the uh, you know the pick of the quarterback than the running back in other words because a quarterback could change the face of a game and you know even going back like we'll just go back to the super bowl 42 uh with the giants i mean everyone praised the the giants defense and they did deserve credit because brady was on his back the whole game but I did hear an interview of Tom Brady after that Super Bowl, and he did say, look, he said, yeah, they did do a tremendous job on the defensive side, and they got the pass rush, and you know that was the difference in the game. He says, but if I had a little bit more time, 
there were guys that were wide open, and I, w- I think we would have won the game. So, again, it's the quarterback. Even this past Super Bowl, I didn't watch it because I was uh, – my wife's a Saints fan, and she was pissed with, uh, <laughs> uh, with the call. So I, 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 I boycotted it. Well, they had that Miami uh, miracle uh, – not Miami, Minnesota miracle last year, the Saints. So she's had a tough couple of years. And <laughs> so we watched the game, and, you know, again, I just was just really upset. I said, I'll support you. We won't watch it. But Brady had a better game than Goff. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, I know it was low scoring. I didn't see it. I just read a little bit about it. But, it, you know, it's the quarterback position drives it. So when you talk about value with Jones at six, um, you're taking a risk. There's like too much of a risk. And again, you know, I think David pointed out about value. Like, well, how do you value guys? Well, I think guys are overvalued. And that's why mm. Bill Belichick is a master at the draft because he knows guys are highly valued overvalued and that's why he trades down and he looks for different pieces because if you think of running backs there's been some good running backs on new england but i mean they weren't first round picks i mean you know you know again but you know the counter argument to that is well saquon uh you know gettleman's you know old school you know touched by god yeah he is a he's like a jim brown if you want to say yeah saquon transcends the norm and that's right. and that's and that's why right. my glasses are all crooked. And that's why he trans <laughs> Saquon transcends the norm, and that's why he's so special and he's so valuable. That's the argument. Right, that is the argument. But the thing is, the quarterback, like Paul was trying to point, right. out, the quarterback is what drives the it drives the game right now. So that's the point that I wanted to make to understand, like you know, for the listeners here and the, what we've been writing about. It's not like we don't like Saquon. It's not like we don't right. like Daniel Jones. But it's just the fact that okay, well, wait a second. Like how are you building your franchise now? If you're, not, I mean, the one thing that I don't get also too is okay, you drafted Loletta last year, so why did you waste a draft pick on a quarterback you're not even going to use? Right. And then if you go back, you look at you know this year, I would have been at peace if they would have let Manning go. Okay, even though I was a big Manning supporter, like I told you, I went to the Manning Passing Academy. I did meet him. He's a really good guy. You know, very, very kind, very soft spoken. You know, very. Uh, I would just say self-effacing, you know, so anyway, the the point is, um, so you're taking, so you're going to sit Jones. Uh, Why are you sitting him? You know, I mean, the the money with the quarterback situation, the NFL, they eased it with the, uh, you know, the salary cap and everything. So it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll have someone else jump in because I've been talking. Dave, you're going to have to run, right? I do have to run, unfortunately. All right. All right. So thank, thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, nice, nice, nice talking to you guys. Hope to do it again soon. Same here. All right, Paul, your point. Well, my, my point is, is to go back to the running back. Uh, I mean, Saquon is, is he's all world. I mean, he's awesome. But he is a ticket sale. He is a franchise guy that, that brings revenue. I live in Detroit. Guess who was one of the best running backs ever? Barry Sanders was phenomenal where did that get the organization uh, it, it, obviously detroit it's functional there's no question that one of the most fun they are the most functional organizations in football but you don't win with a running back and it again goes back to value that's, that's what glenn was saying i mean, what how much money to win Saquon get to his runs out of his rookie contract where does that lead you? You gonna pay him twenty million dollars, fifteen million dollars? Yeah, look at where the Cowboys are at right. Now. Look at where the Cowboys are at right now with two expiring contracts to Dak Prescott, who doesn't deserve over thirty million dollars, but he's probably going to get it anyway. And then Ezekiel Elliott, who's a running back, and running backs don't deserve that big money either. Exactly. 
um, all right. So I feel like, you know, we, we, we kind of touched all our bases. We kind of went back to 2018. We talked about the running back, talked about the value at six. Um, Daniel Jones, he does things right. I think that's one thing that we do want to say. If you haven't clicked off by now, because, <laughs> because, because we're critiquing, Daniel Jones does do things right. Um, we, we mentioned how he's a smart guy. The mobility, it's going to be so awesome to see a quarterback that whenever somebody pokes pokes an ankle or pokes a toe, that he doesn't just fall down to the ground immediately. That's going to be so great to see when we do see it. So that is going to bring a whole other aspect to the game, whether it's a, whether maybe even a read option. I saw him running some some options over at a rookie minicamp. Uh, obviously, whether he's just running it to runner or whether they're actually going to maybe do it with Daniel Jones, we'll see. Um, but there's a lot to like about Daniel Jones. It's just that there are mitigating factors that are existing right now that are just limiting the overall excitement over him because of where he was picked and where this team is right now as a where this franchise is right now. So do we do we think that's kind of like a little little fair of a summary to kind of put on this conversation that we've had so far? Uh, yeah, I agree. All right, awesome. Awesome. Um I want to get to I think it was Glenn. I think it was your article where you were basically talking about we. Uh, I, I like to call it the Dave Gettleman's pressing the spam button on, on cornerbacks. He did the same thing in Carolina, and I want to get to we talk about on this podcast. We look at trends in the NFL. So again, we talked about you win with quarterbacks on their rookie deals, and that's a lot of value. We and then also you addressed in one of your articles how that both the Patriots and the Chiefs, two very forward-thinking teams, have gone towards the route of addressing their second their secondary. You know, and you specifically you see with the Patriots parting ways with Trey Flowers yep. and trading away Chandler Jones. <clears throat> so you see those moves, and then you see those lack of moves or even lack thereof. Even though Dave Gettleman may spit in the face of analytics, maybe he's got something cooking here. So maybe we'll we'll address that. What do you guys think of the the secondary that the Giants are building on right now? And how is that, you know, how is that going to overall impact the defense this year, positively, negatively? Will it impact the pass rush in a good way? Because we're going to see more coverage sacks. So I want to hear what you guys have to say. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start off and then I'll get, you know, Paul's input. Um, well, you know, we always, we thought, you know, the Giants DNA was the pass rush. You know, we talked, I just alluded to that with Super Bowl 42. I mean, you're going to remember, you know, Eli's, you know, fourth quarter heroics, but also to Justin Tuck and Michael Strahan. And obviously, you know, it was the pass rush, you know, and Arnie O'Corsi uh, would say, you know, we, you know, our DNA is our pass rushers, can't have enough pass rushers. So here, you know, in the draft, you know, Gettleman, you know, claims that, you know, he uh, was on seven Super Bowl teams and, you know, pass rush, you know, you, you think that's important, you know, or of course he told them about that, but, you know, here they passed up on the pass rusher and they, um, you know, they drafted a defensive tackle and then they drafted a cornerback and, and then they weren't done with cornerbacks. They drafted two other cornerbacks. Um, I don't have any problems with right. them, you know, drafting the cornerbacks. Um, but, you know, the Patriots last year, they, of course, they're always good. But like Paul always tells me, we always talk about the Patriots because of their, you know, continued success. Um, they had the same amount of sacks as the Giants had last year. Like they were at the bottom, they were tied for 30th, but they still won the Super Bowl. So you're thinking like, well, what are they doing? You know? So, you know, here it is, the Giants draft, Baker, they draft Love, and they draft Ballantyne, uh, three guys. Now, they also picked up Beal in the supplementary draft uh, last year, so they have him, and they have Jenkins, who's probably going to be his last year. So they do have good cover people. But you have to remember, in the NFL, like we talked about, 
passing is king and the rules have allowed that so that's been the changes with the with the league these cornerbacks will have to watch them because um i just did i, I did talk about this but all the cornerbacks they drafted are kind of small they're about 5 10 5 11 usually the giants prototype quarterback was taller like terrell thomas and webster were out a little bit uh, above six feet uh, had long arms. And why was the long arms important? Because they could disrupt the timing of the route. I mean, that's the whole key because they got that five-yard cushion. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how these guys do coverage-wise, like what Betcher is going to do. My my take on it, doing some thinking, Justin and Paul, um, I think Betcher had some input. Um, I think he's a bright guy. I, I really like James Betcher as a defensive coordinator. I think it was him that said, hey, look, um, you know, I think he probably wanted Allen, but if they, you know, we're going to go after somebody else, we have to build the secondary here. Um, I think Justin, you talked about, um, you know, blitzes like blitz, uh, Betcher likes to blitz. Mm-hmm. So if you if you guys have you know good coverage or disrupt the route and you're sending guys, um, you know, your chances of getting a sack or even you know throw any complete pass is is uh, or getting an interception is is imperative. Um, because the other thing I just wanted to add with um, turnovers. Last year, I know Gettleman, you know, pretty much uh, was pretty assailed the defense and said the defense wasn't good. But you have to take into account the Giants last year were plus two overall in turnover differential. And Mm. uh, Bill Parcells always talked about the the most important statistic in football is turnovers. So if you take what Parcells says, okay, which, you know, right now you want to say if it's gospel, but, you know, Parcells is a smart guy, too. You know, he won his championships. The Giants were plus two. Overall, so imagine with better coverages here, you know, perhaps that goes up. And we, if you have a higher turnover differential, you're going to get more wins. Does it really correlate? Does it mean you get more wins? Probably so, because you have more possessions. And if you have more possessions, you have more chances to score. So that's what I just wanted to add uh, with the um, with the cornerbacks. And I wanted to get Paul's uh, input on that. Yeah, and I want to I want to bring up one thing. And then, Paul, I kind of sure. want to ask this to you. Um, last year, uh, James Betcher, when he was brought in, um, we saw the blitz percentage from his couple years and his three years with Arizona. It was somewhere in, be- in between 37% and 47%. We're like, oh, this guy's going to blitz quarterback left and right, left and right, left and right. That blitz percentage dropped down to 26, 26% of snaps that he brought more than four down men, four down linemen. So I want to ask kind of Paul with this, with these new acquisitions and with these new draft picks in the secondary this year, and also include uh, Jabril Peppers and include Antoine Bethea. uh, Are we going to see that blitz percentage go up? And overall, you know, are those sack numbers going to go up in your opinion, Paul, because of the newly acquired secondary pieces? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think you will because it's the second year. But he's added pieces to his puzzle. And what he's getting guys he wants, he's comfortable with, it fits his system. And I mean, I want to, I want to further on the point about like how the, how the league is. Yes, it's a passing league. It favors, you know, the rules favor passing. The rules favor the wide receiver, the the quarterback, and the league wants that because it creates points and it creates excitement. Da da da. So I understand, and and the point about New England, yes, they have focused more on secondary, but it's even here in in Detroit, who we have a head coach who is a New England disciple, and they're getting a lot of crit- criticism of him drafting a lot of secondary players and not defensive play, defensive line players. 
So there is a trend there that, that makes sense. I understand it. And yes, I do foresee that they will, you know, you're going to allow with a good solid secondary who's going to disrupt, you know, path patterns and you're going to be able to hit the zone and, and disrupt the zone will allow for more blitzing. Now, the, the only question I have is, do you have enough talent up front? And then the linebackers, my biggest concern is the linebacker coverage. Mm. And how many years have we seen tight ends totally shred the New York Giants football defense? No matter who's yeah. a defensive coordinator. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. All right, so uh, I want to be mindful of your time, um, and I want to wrap up, but uh, I do want to have quick-hitting questions to wrap up, and I want to thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for coming on. So here we go. We're going to do some over-under questions, and then some of these may not be over-under questions. So uh, gun to your head. Daniel Jones starts over or under three games this season. I'm going to say under. Paul, you're going to say under. Oh, totally. Totally. All right. Uh, um, <clears throat> Daniel Jones, how many games? I'll say over. Over. All right, so with that in mind, over under, Giants win six games this year, and why? What's going to be like the main the main reason why they win over six games? Because I guess we won three games two years ago. We won five games last year. So I guess maybe I could say seven, but I'm going to say six. So let's 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 go with that. All right, I'll say I'm going to say under, and the reason why I say that is I compared <clears throat> last season, 2018 to 2013. And why did I say that? Well, 2013 we had uh, we called it fraud wins. What is a fraud win? Well, we played backup quarterbacks in 2013. We finished with seven wins, but we played Josh Freeman uh, was on a Monday night. He was pretty much just picked up. We played Matt Barkley was with at Philadelphia. Uh, Barkley was horrible. Uh, Scott Tolson, we got a break. We didn't see how Rodgers that year. We played Tolson and uh, Pryor was with the Raiders. Mm. So we won those four games. And, you know, that's the reason why backup quarterbacks. Last year, we played Mullins, uh, and barely won that game. Uh, Fitzpatrick started with the Buccaneers, but I think the Buccaneers had over 500 yards of offense, but they turned the ball over five times. Uh, uh, Chase Daniel, that uh, game against the Bears, I mean, he was a turnover machine. And, um, and then uh, a butt fumble, uh, Sanchez. Mm -hmm. So so we played th those quarterbacks, uh, I think, led, you know, engendered those wins. So <clears throat> why am I saying that? Because when you have all these new players, when you're playing football, you have to, you know, understand the scheme and, and, and play. You don't like think, I think they're going to be doing a lot of thinking on defense. And um, I really think that even on offense too, you have all these new players and I think it's going to take a time to gel. Um, and people say, well, their schedule may be a little bit easier, but uh, you know, I st still think it's a work in progress with, you know, with the team. So, you know, that's, that's my thought. Why, they'll be um, under six. Likewise, I, I'm under six because biggest reason is Vegas has them as five and a half. Uh, I don't like to bet against Vegas. But the <laughs> other thing, is the, the big thing, and, and Glenn, I mean, Glenn hit it on, uh, on the quarterback, but also I think their offensive line is going to take a little while to gel with two new guys coming in. And number two, I really am concerned about one guy that you're centering your whole offense on is Barkley. And he's going to take a pounding. 
I, I don't expect him to make it through all 16 games. Wow. Wow, we got hot takes. We got hot takes. Oh, my gosh. All right, so this isn't really an over-under question, but this is mainly a doomsday question. If everything goes to shit this year, or even two years from now, who is more likely to be fired first if things really go wrong, Dave Gettleman or Pat Shermer? It's just it's the mayor's way. I mean, he's, he's going to stick by Gettleman. He is a part of the old school. He's been there forever. I mean, that's just the mayor's way. If anybody goes first, it'll be Schumer. No question. Yeah, I'll 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 second that. It'll it'll be it'll be Shermer. I mean, because Shermer. Uh, uh, I, one one thing I want to talk about Shermer is uh, maybe I didn't add that in. Let me just add this in. Shermer last year, I pointed this out, and he did it in Cleveland. You know, again, Cleveland was his first job though, but he didn't learn upon. He says, oh, I've learned stuff." Well, he made a, some in-game management decisions, like he goofed in the Saints game with the timeout in the first half. Um, he goofed at the. Um, the Falcons game with the two point conversion uh, attempt, you know, w- you know, with the defense the way it was playing, you know, there was, I think there was another issue I can't think of, but I and the, oh the Eagles game, uh, okay, that gives rise to me, like you know, with the whole OBJ thing. Here the week before the um, Saints crushed the Eagles, the Eagles were decimated in the secondary. The Giants have OBJ, they got Shepard, they have Ingram, and they got Barkley, and you're telling me they're playing a soft. Two, soft cover two zone and the Giants <laughs> couldn't score more points. I mean, I think that was the, that was the be all end all when they lost that game. That game was, you know, really. I mean, I know the Carolina game was rough, but there was no excuses for losing that Philadelphia game. You know, Philadelphia was decimated in the secondary. So, you know, again, and then given Barkley what five touches in the second half. I mean, that was right. like so of all the, all the games, he's going to blow three games this year. Mark it down uh, this year with his his in uh, game management because. He should delegate the play calling and just focus on the game management. Maybe we'll see that this year, but that's that's the reason. That's another reason why I think they're going to win less than six games. All right, two more, two more. Eli Manning over under twenty two touchdowns. I believe that's the amount he threw last year. If that gives any context. Yeah, I think he threw. Yeah, I think he threw that many. I think five of those were in garbage time. Uh, of the touchdowns, so we call garbage time. Paul and I call when the game's over, like mm-hmm. when they played the uh, Redskins. It was twenty six. Eli, Eli, be- Eli has to be the best quarterback in the NFL in garbage time. He has to. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't think he makes twenty. I, I think, uh, I think, um, you know, I think because I said Jones is going to play more games, so I, I don't think he's going to do it. So no, I say over. I, I'm just reaching on here. I really am. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Paul, you mentioned you don't think Saquon's going to get over. You don't think Saquon's going to get uh, sixteen games, but uh, I believe Saquon had a little over two thousand all-purpose yards last year. So I'm going to say uh, over under Saquon Barkley two thousand all-purpose yards, and then that'll be our last question. Well, well what do you think my answer is going to be? I think your answer is going to be under. Well, I mean, I think teams are going to adapt. Mm. And and how they approach him and how they had defend him. There was a few games that I watched last year. They did adapt and they held him. So you got to take that into account. Plus the fact that I think it's, they're riding him hard because he is their best player. And so I, I yeah I just I don't see it. I just don't. No, Glenn. Uh, Barkley, yeah, um, <clears throat> I agree. I think you pointed out in the Titan game last year they adapted with the run blitz. Mm-hmm. I think having OBJ uh, not on the team anymore, I don't think – I think teams get schemed differently now. 
Um, I know he wasn't there in the Titan game and he wasn't there at the end. And, you know, the Giants talk about how many points they scored in the NFC East, you know, how they scored over 30 points a game. You know, the, the, the offense erupted. But, you know, let's let's get let's be serious here. Teams will scheme for uh, for Barkley. They'll take more chances now. The safety may be cheating the box. Uh, Shepard's a good receiver. But, you know, if they have you know, coverage issues. I don't think he's going to have that good of a year. I, I attribute Barkley to like a Chris Johnson when Chris Johnson was out of uh, college, different type of back, of course, but it, it, you know, dynamic, they could hit the home run, you know, with like a, you know, an 80 yard touchdown, but then they have like about five or six rushes, negative yards, you know, uh, one yard, zero yards. I think Barkley will get his you know, touchdowns and everything, but I think he's not going to have that good of a year because, you know, teams are going to, um, you know, scheme and they're going to watch the film from the, uh, from the Titans game, you know, and say, okay, if you have, um, you could run blitz, if you have a strong defensive front, then now with, like I said, with Beckham not there, they could, teams could, I think it'd be a little more risky and take some more chances. All right. Now this is my final point, Glenn, and this is kind of a shot of David. If you, li- if you listen back to that Titans reaction game that we did, it's unfair of you to bring up that Titans game because it was raining. So that's <laughs> so that's my final point. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, Paul and Glenn. Thank you so much, so much for coming on. Um, I I don't know about you, but if you anytime uh, uh, you guys would want to come back on, uh, please do. Um, it's been a, it's been a fun time. Uh, any uh, any we'll we'll do we'll do some final thoughts and then we'll and then we'll get on out of here. Glenn, why don't you start? All right. Well, thanks for having us on. We could call this the uh, full bloom edition because tomorrow's Mother's Day, right? Full bloom, uh, and also we're in full bloom love with uh, Daniel Jones. Right, right. That yeah. that, that that is true. Uh, just real quick, uh, you know, um, with the Giants now, you're seeing a lot of players, uh, ex players, uh, come in, you know, uh, out and talking about, you know, the Giants and. Uh, you know, Paul and I discussed this, you know, George Young talked about uh, football players, you know, we're not in the business of well-adjusted human beings. So you have, uh, you know, Beckham, you have uh, uh, Collins talking out now with the Giants. Uh, Paul had a good point to me offline, you know, with these players that, you know, that's an organizational issue, you know, I mean, I know, you know, these guys, you know, maybe act out and everything, but I could just tell you from my, you know, I got some sources down here in Baton Rouge, uh, some SEC sources. Mm. Beckham, you know, is an outstanding player. Uh, could have played any sport he wanted to. Outstanding athlete. He had has a great work ethic. But I, he has, you know, uh, like it. You know, he wants to win, but he does uh, get upset. Like if he doesn't get the ball. Like I was telling you about the Eagles game. You mm-hmm. know, he has sit out because of injuries. Okay, I know that for a fact. And um, I don't think it was a coincidence at the end of the year when he was missing injury. I think he just said, screw it. I'm done with this team. Uh, And then that's why the Giants, you know, again, we talk about value. You know, they didn't get value in that trade uh, with the the Browns. Uh, They just wanted the Jettis. They just wanted the Jettis at him. And they're getting rid of some of these players, maybe that don't fall in line. But again, players in football, they're not well adjusted. So you have, as an organization, you have to, you know, instruct discipline like Belichick does in New England. You know, Randy Boston act out when he was with the Patriots and he yeah. did well. So, you know, that's that's one of my final points. But thanks for having us, you know, having me on. It was good talking on a good podcast here where you are open minded. You know, we could agree to disagree. Uh, we don't call uh, uh, people haters or morons. So um, I do appreciate that, Justin. And, you know, I really appreciate the time uh, we were on here. No problem. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Wrap us up. 
I uh, appreciate that you and David uh, have a good duo. Both have opposite sides. It's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. Uh, I appreciated that, and I appreciated both of your perspectives. My my final thought, uh, I would hope that John Mayer finally comes to the realization that he needs to step away and let a GM and its front office run an organization instead of being so heavily involved. He had actually leaked information about about who they were going to pick that wasn't revealed to the to the media but was known and i and i think it's a big problem and i i can't wait i mean that, that's part of the problem with the mayors it's always been a problem and i hope he finally gets the realization to step away and let professionals run the organization so that that's kind of my two cents and i appreciate having us on your your podcast and it was enjoyable and good dialogue thank you absolutely absolutely all right uh go big blue go big blue um we're gonna keep on bleeding blue i'm always i always suck at outros because i never know what to say uh i don't know when the next episode's going to be but again follow me on twitter i'm gonna be doing some daniel jones stuff and i'll be doing some more reaction videos i had my first i had my first self-made video get over a thousand views on twitter so thank you all for that Keep on bleeding blue, everybody. See you next time.